be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, the regular ancient gospel lesson for this Sunday. As we find it written in the gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter, especially the 27th verse. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. It is nice having you here in God's house on this rainy Sunday morning, and it is nice, Christian friends, having you worship with us by means of the radio this morning. Getting ready for Christmas, that's what we are doing in this Advent season, this period of four Sundays before the birthday of Jesus. And this is the way we are preparing ourselves. Each Sunday we are looking at the babe of Bethlehem and we are asking the question, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are soon to celebrate? And if you recall last Sunday, on the first Sunday in this Advent season, we asked the prophet Zechariah, who lived about 500 years before Bethlehem, and his answer was this when we said, Zechariah, what child is this? He said, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He said, He is every inch your king. He is the king of a wonderful kingdom. And last Sunday, you recall, we looked at him and found him a king to be worthy of our love and of our allegiance because as our king he has brought the greatest blessings possible to this earth, the forgiveness of sins, deliverance from eternal punishment, and the gift of eternal life. Today we look again to the manger child and we ask again the question, what child is this? Who is this child? And for our answer we are going to go to Jesus himself to a statement that he made about himself on Tuesday of Holy Week, the Tuesday before he died on Good Friday. He had been in the temple all day that day on Tuesday, and then when the sun was sinking in the western sky, he left the temple at Jerusalem, and he left it for the last time. He never went back into that temple. He and the twelve disciples left the temple. They crossed the brook Kedron. They went around the Garden of Gethsemane up the slope of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sat down then on the side of the Mount of Olives, looking to the temple to the west. And as they sat there and the sun was sinking, they spoke of many serious things. They talked about the end of the world. And they talked about the judgment that was going to come. And then it was that Jesus spoke these words to the twelve. He said this. He said, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You know, of all the titles, he loved this one best, Son of Man. He gave it to himself. He called himself the Son of Man. And by that he meant this. He meant to say, yes, I am the Son of Man. I am a man, but I'm more than a man. 
I am God as well as man. And he told them that day, seated there on the slope of the Mount of Olives, that he, the Son of Man, was going to come again. There would be a second advent. He would come back to this earth, and that he would come back again in order to destroy this universe, in order to judge every human being without exception. Today, when we ask, what child is this? Jesus says, I am no less than the Son of Man. I am the God-man who is going to return. I'm coming back. I am coming back to destroy this universe, and I am coming back to judge you and all men. And we may say today, as we want to get ready for Christmas to celebrate his birthday, we may say, how could Jesus, seated on the slope of the Mount of Olives, ever make a prophecy that he was coming back again, that he was the one who was coming, he was going to be the Son of Man returning to this earth without giving us some assurance, some portents, some signs whereby we could be sure that he is coming back again? I wonder if we've ever realized that when he prophesied there on the side of the Mount of Olives that he gave us every portent, he gave us conclusive evidence that he is coming back again. Jesus, the Son of Man, God-Man, coming back to destroy this universe and to judge all men? What are the signs that you and I may say are so unmistakable? I'd like to mention three this morning, and this one's the first one. Jesus has given us the conclusive sign of the temple. While they sat there and they were looking at that temple called Herod's temple, and again the dome in solid gold, it was a sight to behold. And he told them that afternoon, your temple, your house, shall be left unto you desolate. There shall not be left one stone upon another. This was about the year 33. And he prophesied this temple is going to be destroyed, and they couldn't believe that. They thought this temple never could be destroyed, but in the year 70, not quite 40 years later, Titus, the Roman emperor, came from Rome with his legions, and he destroyed that temple that not one stone lay upon another. There had been another temple. Solomon had built that, you remember, 1,000 years before Christ came into the world, and that was the wonder of the year and the wonder of the age and the wonder of the world. And yet we know that Nebuchadnezzar in the year 586 B.C. came, and he destroyed that tremendous temple of Solomon. When they went down into captivity seven years in Babylon, they came back and they built the second temple. And those who had seen the first one and then saw the second one, they stood there and they wept great tears because the second temple could not be compared with the first one of Solomon. That temple stood for 500 years. That was the temple into which Jesus came. Herod the king had poured many a dollar into that temple because he knew it would please the Jews. And they thought that it couldn't happen. But your Lord and mine, the Son of Man, when he was there on the side of the Mount of Olives, when he said, This house shall be left unto you desolate, in less than forty years that prophecy came true. He batted one thousand on that. 
And just as certain as it came through, and today if you are in Jerusalem, you see only a remnant of that temple, just a few stones from the wall, and they call it the Wailing Wall, where the Jew stands and he cries unto his God. And that temple was destroyed as Jesus predicted, and here we are 2,000, almost 2,000 years later, and he still has no temple. And standing in that place where that temple once stood, there is the Mohammedan Mosque of Omar, not a Christian church, not even in a Jewish temple, but again of Islam. We stand and we say to ourselves, the Son of Man, when on that Tuesday before he died, on the slope of the Mount of Olives, when he prophesied and predicted that that temple would be left desolate, that temple lay in ruins and it is still not rebuilt today because no Jew knows whether he is even from the tribe of Levi, let alone from the family of Aaron, that he might be a high priest in that temple. It is gone. The Son of Man was batting 1,000 in that prophecy. And because, again, the temple stands as a monument of the fact that the Son of Man is coming again, he is coming again. That's the portent assuring you and me that he will destroy this universe. You say destroy the universe? Oh, we may do a lot of destruction as regards the planet on which we live. But he describes it that there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And the damnation shall stand in perplexity. And the very celestial powers will be shaken. The universe will be destroyed by fire. It is under sin. And therefore under sin the Son of Man is coming to destroy he who comes in a cloud in the majesty of heaven, in the omnipotence that is his, and in the glory that is his, as the God-man, seated as the stranger of Galilee on the slope of the Mount of Olives one day, he said, I am the Son of Man, and I'm coming again, and I'm coming to destroy. He will destroy this universe. When you and I realize the sign of the temple, it stands shrieking that he is the Son of Man who is going to come. And so on this second Sunday in Advent as we are preparing ourselves for Christmas, if we could just write it on our hearts that this babe is no less than the Son of Man. He is no less than the God-Man that is coming again. There will be a second Advent of him. Then we would say to ourselves, oh, that when he comes, you and I would not have that day be a snare for us or a trap. We may ask ourselves point blank this morning, what is there in your life and mine right now that keeps the Son of Man out of your heart and mind if he isn't there? What is it, Jesus says, is it dissipation and is it drunkenness? Is it the care of this world? What is it that if he is not the Son of Man in your life and mine that keeps us from bowing the knee to him? Oh, it may hurt, but ought we not say that in view of the fact that the Son of Man is coming, and there will be no preliminary signs, there will not even be five minutes to get ready for him, because he tells us that he will come as a thief in the night, and there will be no time after his coming to get ready. It's a matter of having him or not having him right now. What is it that means more than Jesus Christ in your life and mine? It may be like cutting off an arm or tearing out an eye. But nevertheless, this is the Son of Man that is coming again at an hour when you and I do not know. And when he comes again with no preparation, 
then we must say to ourselves, I either must have him now or I do not have him. And if you and I can bow the knee and lay at his feet those things which keep him out of our hearts and then enthrone him as the Son of Man, our Lord and Savior, we are ready for Christmas because then we know the real meaning of Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? What does it mean to you and to me? Does it mean to you and me that it's the birthday of our personal Savior, of the one in whom we have life and eternal salvation? What does Christmas really mean? Well, sometimes we see it written uh, with a letter that looks like our X. And some say it's Xmas, and that means the unknown, the X, the unknown quantity. But that X written with Xmas, as we may describe it, was never meant to be the English X. That is a Greek letter, and that letter is Chi. And that letter Chi means the first letter in the Greek word Christos, which means Christ. And therefore, may I ask you this morning, when you put that letter that looks like an X in front of Mass, does it mean the unknown quantity, or is it the Greek letter Chi, that Christmas means Christ? Well, we have a lot of beautiful customs, do we not, in connection with Christmas. There's Santa Claus, whom the children love to see, an essence of goodwill and good faith and joy for children. But oh, with it all, we ought to stop and say, what does Christmas really mean to me? You and I are ready for Christmas only when we can say, it means this, that the Son of Man lives in my heart as my Lord and as my Savior. It is the birthday of the Son of Man who is going to come again. Then Christmas is really kindness, what God intended it to be. As we're getting ready on this second Sunday in Advent and we say we want to celebrate Christmas and we want to celebrate it the way God would have us do it, we ask the question, what child is this? Who is this child in this manger? And Jesus himself gives us the answer today by saying that he is no other, none less than the Son of Man, the God-man who is coming again in the majesty of heaven with power and great glory, and you and I may say, but how could this stranger of Galilee, seated on the side of the Mount of Olives on that Tuesday, how in the world could he prophesy that he, the God-man, would come back and that he would destroy the universe and that he would judge all men? Didn't he give us some conclusive proof, some portents, some signs? And he certainly did, if you and I would read them. I would like to mention the second one, and that's this. He has given you and me not only the conclusive sign of the temple, but the conclusive sign is of the Jew. He spoke these words that day. He said, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. And Bible scholars are rather confused what he meant by generation. We have the word genocide, and if you look that word up, and that you know we heard a lot about it in World War II when Hitler tried genocide, that means the killing off of a genus, of a race. And that word genus, or generation, or genus, is again this very word that we're talking about. What is this generation? If Jesus meant to say that the generation, those living right there at that time, would not die until he would come again, then he spoke a falsehood, didn't he? Because they did die, and he has not come back as yet. That isn't what he said. That word generation means our word race. This is what he said in plain English. He said, this generation, this race, meaning the Jew, 
shall never pass away until all be fulfilled. In other words, he said, do you want a sign and a portent that I, the Son of Man, am coming back, that I'm going to have a second advent, that I'm coming back to this earth? All right, it's the Jew. There is one thing you can be certain on. There never will be a time in this world but what there will be a Jew to the end of time. He will never be extinct. He will never be erased. That is the phenomenon of all phenomena in this world. A small group, there were when Jacob went down into Egypt, only 70 went down, 70 Jews. Down in Egypt over 400 years when they left under Moses, about one to three million, a rather small group, came over into the land of Palestine or the land of Canaan, that was their land. They grew, and in the year 722 B.C., when Shalmaneser came, he destroyed the ten northern tribes, and they had been lost sight of, absorbed in the Gentile, the non-Jewish world, gone. In the year 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came, he took the last two little tribes, Judah and Benjamin, carried them into captivity for 70 years down in Babylon. They were allowed to come back a broken people, and still they existed, and Jesus Christ is the one that has given them recognition in this world, even though in their generation they refused him as their Messiah and as their Savior. Nevertheless, again, with all the attempts at annihilation, the Jew stands today as a living testimony that Jesus is coming back. Adolf Hitler tried genocide, didn't he? It was a, an eerie feeling in Amsterdam, Holland, to be told when I was there that when they were under occupation of Nazism that 40,000 Jews disappeared from that one city in a very brief, brief space of days. Hitler tried to exterminate every person that had any Jewish blood within his veins. Seven million went to the gas chambers in Dachau and in Buchenwald. And you say to yourselves, did he succeed? I stood in East Germany or in East Berlin, and there is a bunker there that is shown you on the Russian side where Adolf Hitler and his paramour, uh, the brown girl, where they both committed suicide. He died, but the Jew goes on. Every time you and I see a Jew, bear this in mind, this generation your Lord, the Son of Man and mine, said on the side of the slope of the Mount of Olives, this generation, this race, shall again not pass away till everything be fulfilled. If you're asking for his batting average, the Son of Man's batting a thousand on that one, and therefore just as certain as the Jew will never be exterminated, he will last to the end of time, just so certain the Son of Man is going to come again and he is going to judge the entire human race. We shall all stand before him and shall give an account of ourselves whether we have reckoned with him as our Lord and Savior or not. He is the Son of Man, man, yes, but more than man, the God-man who is coming back, who is going to come back to judge the entire human race. Portents, signs, oh yes. He has given us some other signs that are attending signs. He said there shall be wars and rumors of wars. 
Oh, how could he say that to a sophisticated age of the 20th century? Surely we are smart enough, we are intelligent enough, we are so highly educated that war should not exist. But the stranger of Galilee, seated on the side of the Mount of Olives, one day said this, if you want some signs again that will repeat themselves, it's this one, there will be wars and rumors of wars. The failure of Wilson's League of Nations, the failure of the United Nations even now to stop war. Man realizes that in his inhumanity to man, the phenomenon of war and it shall continue to exist. Not that God wants it, but because you and I do not embrace Jesus Christ and without him the world will never come to peace. Jesus says, I'm the son of man. I'm coming back. If we could write that on our souls today as we get ready for Christmas, then we would say to ourselves, Oh, to God, that I can have this Son of Man as my Lord and Savior and hold on to him when he comes. You see, he can come any time. There are those that say, Oh, this coming is way in the future. He could come right now. Every portent, every sign has been fulfilled. The Son of Man could come and bring this universe to an end and destroy it and bring on the judgment right now. And when you and I realize that fact, Paul said, the day is nearer even in his day than when we first believed. What must it be now when it's about 2,000 years since Jesus came the first time? We are ready for Christmas only when we can admit this. But even before we celebrate his birthday, it is still possible for the Son of Man to come in a cloud in the majesty of heaven with omnipotence and with the great glory that is his as the God-man. He could come right now. This is the Lord whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate. And we say to ourselves, oh, how could he prophesy this stranger of Galilee when he was seated there on the Mount of Olives and talking to the twelve? How could he say that he, the Son of Man, was coming again? Did he give us any signs, any unmistakable proofs that he's coming? He certainly did, if you and I will look at them. I've mentioned the first one, and that's the temple. It went down as he prophesied. And that's the Jew. He still is alive and will continue to live to the end of time. He will never as a race be exterminated. Then he added another one, and that's his word. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away. This is what the stranger of Galilee spoke that afternoon. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Today is called Universal Bible Sunday in the Christian Church. When we think of the word of God, do you realize that Jesus said, my word shall not pass away? Two thousand years later, we still have it. He, by means of the Holy Spirit, has given us the New Testament. We have also the Old. Have you ever seen a time when there is more interest in the Word of God in men reading it and in the translations than now? Think today on this Sunday again of the American Bible Society translation of Good News for Modern Man. You can buy it for 25 or 35 cents. Think again of Goodspeed or of Moffat or think again of Phillips or of Norley. Think again of Beck. Think again of the New English translation all of the translations to put the word of God in the language of the 20th century because men are hungry for it. And people are asking me, when's the Old Testament coming out in language that we can understand? And may I say it's being worked on right now and would to God that it were ready. 
that you and I, if we can read, could pick up the Word of God and understand it, reading it in the language that you and I know. It's coming to be sure. In, in spite of all the controversy, and again, even in the ecumenical movement where men are so confused, what is the message of the Word of God? It's still interesting why he will preserve it to the end of time because it's the word that brings good news to this dying world. What is the good news, in case you don't know it? It's the good news that you and I have been died for. That the Son of Man came into the world, and on Calvary's cross he took your place and mine, and he paid our bill in full. That he again, he bought the whole ball of wax for you and me. That if we put our faith and our trust in him, that he is the way to eternal life and everlasting salvation. That good news, friend, that's going to exist to the end of time. You may run from church to church. You may not be hearing it today. There may be those who have given it up for something that seems to be of more import. But the reason heaven and earth shall pass away and his word shall never pass away is because of the gospel. It's the only good news that has ever hit this world. And because of that, he's batting a thousand. That word still lives. And therefore, when on the slope of the Mount of Olives, he said one day, and they're going to see the Son of Man coming in a cloud in the majesty of heaven with power and glory. I believe he's coming. There's no doubt about it. He's coming again to receive his own into glory. Oh, he'll destroy the present heaven and the present earth, and he will, by the authority and the power that is his as the God-man, create a new heaven and a new earth. And our bodies shall be raised from the dead, and we shall come with him and meet him in the rapture, yes, meet him in the air when the Son of Man shall come in all his glory. Because the stranger of Galilee on the slope of the Mount of Olives, he said he was coming again. You and I can say to ourselves, Oh, is he coming again? It, it sounds so fantastic. It sounds so paradoxical. It just doesn't seem to be true. But one Tuesday afternoon before Good Friday, he sat on the slope of the Mount of Olives and looked over to the temple. And he spoke so seriously. And he said, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He is coming back. And we're getting ready for Christmas, and we want to celebrate it, the birthday as we should. Then we ought to, if we write it on our hearts, we ought to look forward to his return, the return of the Son of Man with enthusiasm, with joy. Jesus says, and when you see these things come to pass, and you see these signs, he said, then stand erect and lift up your eyes. Your liberation day has come. That's the day of liberation. We ought to say every day when we get up, wouldn't life be different if you raise the shade every morning and said, Lord, Son of Man, are you coming today? Are you coming today? Or if we could just think in terms of life each day, all the worries and the distresses, it would be gone. He may be coming today, and if he comes today, then why worry about tomorrow? Or if we could just have the enthusiasm of waiting for his coming, just like, again, the enthusiasm of wanting to be home for Christmas. I'll never forget I was on a plane leaving O'Hare Field in Chicago, going up to Minneapolis. It was in December. We had a special meeting of the Board of Publication of our American Lutheran Church. 
We were ready to leave and the plane was crowded and there was just one seat left in the compartment where I was and it was right alongside of me. And just five minutes before the plane was ready to leave, why, in came a soldier boy and he walked up to me and he said, uh, is that seat taken, sir? And I said, no, you sit down. He was on standby. If you've flown, you know how that is. Five minutes before the plane leaves, if there's an empty seat, then the soldier boy's on. I got on and he sat down. He was again. Then he said to me, I, I just came from Vietnam. I said, you did? He said, yes. He said, when they told me I could go home for Christmas, he said, within two hours, I was going to been hopping. He said, hopping from Vietnam, wherever he could get a ride, and coming on in. He wanted to be home for Christmas. He lived up in North Dakota. And uh, I said, uh, you're going to make it all right. He said, well, if they only leave me on the plane. And of course, the plane was late, and sometimes somebody gets bumped. And I thought to myself, if anybody's going to leave this plane, if that boy has to leave this plane, I'm going to leave it first because to me, a meeting of the Board of Publication didn't mean a thing when a young man from Vietnam was going home for Christmas. That came first. But thank God they closed the door and we started in flight. And I said to him, are you hungry? Do you have any money? And he said, oh, I've got enough. And I offered him some. I said, when you get off now, why don't you get yourself something? No, he says, sir, I've got enough. And I said, do your folks know you're coming? Oh, I said, when I hit the coast, I called mom. And she said, you're coming for Christmas? She said, uh, we're going to be awake and waiting for you. There wasn't going to be any sleep in that house. They were waiting for the boy from Vietnam who was coming home for Christmas. He said, they're waiting for me. They're going to meet every plane. Well, we flew into Minneapolis, and I bid him a merry, merry Christmas. I said, oh, you're going to make it all right? And he said, yeah, Mom, they're all going to be at the airport. They're going to be waiting for me. A man from Vietnam eager to go home for Christmas. Oh, if we could just look up and say, Lord, maybe he'll come before Christmas, come for you and me. Wouldn't it be tremendous to be home for Christmas? And I've just thought, oh, this week we've had some blows in our Ohio district here lately. The number of times the Son of Man has reached into the clergy roster and has taken some of my friends, men that I have grown up with. There was first Reverend Andrew Bredo, the first one taken by a heart attack. I followed him to Leighton, Ohio when I left school and was my first charge. He moved on to West Alexandria. Again was in Columbus, a heart attack, and Reverend Bredo was taken. I, I sang with him on the Cap University Glee Club. He sang baritone and I sang first tenor, and he was also the violin soloist with the club. And then the Son of Man reached into our ranks and called the Reverend Edwin Ackerman. And he served over here at Janeiro, you recall, for a number of years. Ackerman and I stood side by side on the Cap Glee Club, and we sang first tenor for several years. And then last Thursday night, to receive the sad news that Reverend Edwin, Edward Acker, uh, uh, Reverend Dady King at Marysville, my good friend, that he was taken by a heart attack who again will lie in state in his church this afternoon and tonight. He also sang on the gate club when I was there. He sang second tenor. Uh, what a combination, you may say. Uh, Andy Bredo and Ed Ackerman and, oh, affectionately, Skinny Gaty King and Marty Hounson. Oh, what a combination we made on the Cap Glee Club. And then last Friday afternoon, I attended the funeral of Reverend Philip Auer, and that brought back memories because 
It was in June of 1958 that Phil and I stood on the platform at Cap University, our alma mater, and he and I were honored by our alma mater by receiving the degree of Doctor of Divinity. The Lord of the Church, the Son of Man, has reached into the clergy oh, in so many ways just at this time more than at any time that I can remember. And yet how, how blessed to know this that he is saying to those four men, you're weary, you've had a long ministry, it's been a worrisome, toilsome thing at times, why don't you come home for Christmas? And he's taken them home for Christmas. Or you die a little when you tell those friends that you've been associated with for years when you tell them farewell. But oh, what must it be when the Son of Man, even before his birthday, says, come on, man, you come on home. Come on home for Christmas. Celebrate my birthday in my presence. That's a real Merry Christmas, isn't it? Our hearts may ache for our loved ones, but oh, to be in heaven with the Son of Man, that's, oh, that's a Merry Christmas. Let you and I on this second Sunday in Advent, as we get ready, we can look at the child of Bethlehem and say, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are going to celebrate? And his answer is, I am no less than the Son of Man, the God-Man, who's coming again to take you home for Christmas. And we can rejoice then, and we can say, the God-Man, O oh God, how great thou art! How great thou art! How great thou art! Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.